0: Mr. Pink, and this is the Modern Synthesis Podcast, Xenos Alchemist. And I'd like to welcome our guest today. Some of you know him as Hydra on Instagram, better known as Simon Schnitzler from Germany. We interviewed him in a recent episode of the podcast. We actually recorded that about two or three years ago. So this is the follow up to that. And as you can tell, that episode was recorded in the before times and i don't know if you can hear it right now but i'm talking to you through a mask too just to make it feel you know authentic and COVID. but this is how we're uh keeping connected at this weird weird time Simon, thank you so much for coming on uh, Xenos Alchemist again. We're so happy to be able to talk to you again since it has been a while since we last spoke.
1: Yes, it has been like ages, another Mm -hmm. lifetime.
0: (laughs) Certainly. We're going to talk about that definitely in this episode. (sighs) Just in case people are not following you on Instagram, they definitely should. And your handle is the numeral four Y-D-R-A. And the other place where you can find him is on his website, www.h-archive.com. H-A-R-C-H-I-V-E.com. And that's his log situation where he shares his most recent work. If you were to go hit that up right now, you'd find that it's a lot of frost grade. But in our previous interview with you, we talked about how you got your start in the hobby and what your inspirational influences were from your childhood. And then when you actually got to miniatures and you started with collecting 40K or Warhammer stuff, and then you moved into infinity. In this episode, I was hoping we could move forward from that talk about where you're at now and what you're thinking for the future, for the hobby, yeah. because you have a very different perspective perspective. perspective on this in that a lot of the stuff that we focus on is games workshop warhammer related but Mm -hmm. you've branched out into infinity now you're doing some Frostgrave, which might be weird names for people they might not know that much about them but they're probably pretty compatible if people could get a little more information about them i wanted to start off by asking you what are you working on right now
1: i have just finished things and have not started new ones yet (laughs) this is a very rare thing for me to happen because i usually have uh, different projects running side by side since uh, time is of essence here i'm trying to be as efficient as possible doing seven different things at the same time sort of slows me down Yep. because I lose the motivation so I'm just in the gap between two things and I just finished off the Mr. Cthulhu so this conversion. is a
0: Frostgrave miniature right let's do like descriptors as well for people okay, who are yes. listening so-, so
1: if you want to see it it's on my Instagram I yep. used a crypt horror from yep. Games Workshop and had those large ghoul things yep. and used a troll skull from that magnificent skull box whipped it all together added a tail and that's basically all I added as bits and then a lot of green stuff (laughs) to make it look uh, like Cthulhu and the idea is that uh, as I'm playing Frostgrave at the moment I am having this Cthulhu themed Frostgrave thing going on um, at the moment or The moment is good for the last half year. Uh, Of course, you can't play the the Lovecraft stuff without having a proper Cthulhu. And I finally had a scenario where a monster showed up that's frightening enough to be worthy of having something that at least resembles the big old one. So that's him. And the other stuff I just finished was those two statues for the scenario.
0: Elder gods or something, statues? They're they're also on your Instagram. I saw them on there.
1: Yeah, that that was the goal I wanted to achieve. I used some... Buddha statues I found in a China shop like ages ago and planned to use them for uh, for infinity and just ripped off their heads and sculpted stuff as heads and I wanted them to look scary and now they look a little bit goofy but that's how it rolls <laughs> and they are basically the uh, objective points for the scenario we are currently playing. I'm as I will branch into frostgrave is my main motivator at the moment. So as I'm trying to squeeze as much Lovecrafty Ruthoth creatures into my frost grave as possible i will have two sets of these for
0: cthulhu those. mythos Migol assault squads
1: yes so that is Paolo Parentis Das 1947, which is a weird World War II setting. A couple of years ago, they are having this campaign that's supposed to play in Africa somewhere, like yep. in Babylon, and suddenly, like, oh, we don't have just Babylon, we also have Cthulhu creatures, like Nyala Nyarlathotep runs around, and avatars of Cthulhu, and Cthulhu himself, and one of those miniatures is the Migo, known from the Whisperer in Darkness, and I just love the story. I have listened to it like a thousand times already. The next scenario will feature six creatures that reappear when you kill them. It felt like this never-ending horde thing. And yeah. instead of having some weird demonic dogs coming back all the time, I figured yeah. it would be cool for our adventurers to creep through a mining facility and all those Migo come forth to, to kill them. So this is uh, my next project, having six of them for the next
0: scenario. In terms of what I'm working on right now, I, I've been i posting a lot of pictures lately of this Venom Cannon warrior. Oh, He's got, yes. Like, the Venom Cannon grafted to his shoulder side of his face. I've got kind of a cool story behind it in that I had a friend who had always been interested in Warhammer and had never played it. And I don't really play Warhammer if you know much about me. I decided to play Shadow War with him, which is the version of Necromunda they released in 2017, when they didn't realize that Necromunda would be popular. But it's a (laughs) stripped-down version of Warhammer, and you can play it with kill teams. So we played his first game of Shadow War. I created two smaller warriors to play in this game, and I got so inspired by the idea of getting to play with him, that I was able to create these two warriors, put them together, paint them in two weeks, and that was really quick for me. So he had such a good time in the first game, and he kicked my ass. Mm -hmm. He used his Prometheum caches, or upgrade one of his guys to have a Venom Cannon. Recently, he was like, hey, when are we going to play another game of Warhammer? So I decided that I should be a Venom Cannon guy. So that was the inspiration for this guy. My other thing is my Tyranid Prime. Think this is actually a collaboration with Simon, Hydra, and awesome. with Moloch. We've got a nice. model that we started building together a long time ago, and this is one piece of it. And Simon, you've created another piece of it. And Moloch has done a lot of the <laughs> building and the painting of it. And soon we're hoping to bring it all together. Marco shoes High Fleet Moloch, he was the other Tyranid artist that the two of us hung out with back in the day. He's reappeared on Instagram, which is cool. Yep. He's starting to post some stuff on there again. He posted a Titan Simon that you worked on with him. Yep, yep. back in the before times. Did you want to yep. say like a couple of words about that?
1: It was when there was just those two kids of, of Titans available, <laughs> yeah, which were war hounds. Like one was the Mars pattern, and the other one was well, they were basically boxy or round shaped. Yeah, and uh, Marco was uh, really keen on that Death Watch. He always what I admired about him was that he toyed around with the playing like both sides having the tyranids and having the tyranid hunters he eventually wanted to have this death watch warhound and he yeah. asked me if i could help him with uh, with the death watch they trade one shoulder guard for the death watch shoulder guard and since they don't have uh, shoulder guards the titans uh, we decided that he would Change a leg guard to have this silver thing with a lettering stamped on.
0: If you want to see this, if you're listening to this in um, audio form, if you're on Instagram, just look up Hive Fleet Moloch, all one word. So that's Hive Fleet. And Moloch is M O L O C H. So if you go find his profile, uh, one of his more recent posts is of this Warhound Titan. So you created this. The leg plate yes. for the Titan. So you and sculpted all those is, letters? Yeah. Oh, God damn. And that That's was, a lot of work.
1: Honestly, it wasn't. It was. I think it was more work to pull up a decent text. I like details. It all makes sense. And here comes my first bigger experience with epoxy sculpt because that leg plate is done yeah. in epoxy sculpt. It would have never worked in green stuff because no. when you push into green stuff, the green stuff gets bulgy to both sides. What I did was I stemmed with... A, I basically used plastic spoons which I cut into pieces, which I used to stamp the letters. So I had a long piece to, to go with like a P or an A or an E or whatever, like the oh long piece. God. And then I had a short piece, which uh, is like, when you look at the middle, there's an E you can see, I think an E and an S. Yeah.
0: Or something uh, like that. Yeah. I can see the so, right there.
1: Yeah. So I have a long one um, for the E, uh, yep. for the long part of the E and the short one for the short parts of the E. And the most tricky oh, parts were wow. the S. Um, yeah. So every other letter was simply just pushed in into the putty with uh, with those sticks. With a, a straight edge,
0: right. kind of. So you created your own tool for it.
1: Yes. And but how did uh, you do the curves? I think I cut a plastic tube to a half circle. So yeah. I could stem the S half circle one way, half circle the other oh my way.
0: Oh God. Okay. Yeah,
1: That's he, amazing. He, definitely, he should have taken the picture from the sides. It,
0: yeah, this <laughs> is not the important part. He's got, a, he's got the, the fancy painted lettering in focus, not the arduous. <laughs> yeah. Sculpting. Speaking of larger sculpting, let's talk about the other prominent um, item on there that you sculpted—the yep. carapace.
1: That's green stuff, uh, epoxy sculpt mix, and it yep. was really interesting to uh, to work on a flat surface and having something that is usually 3D and suddenly is like 2D, which is slightly three-dimensional. That was really uh, interesting to do. Well, the snake part was pretty easy because it's just flat, but um, the head, and it was always the question: How far should I go in the third? I to make it work. Yeah,
0: I think we'd call this relief, like a relief, piece. relief relief or something. It's flat essentially, but it's like a sculpture that's raised out from a flat surface. For anyone who's not looking at the pictures right now, you can find them on Instagram, but it's a scene depicting uh, an Inquisitor space marine dude with these dual halos, and he's got this long spear, and he's driving it through this serpentine tyranid, and the serpentine tyranid wraps all over the kind of beetleback carapace of uh, Warhound. The inquisitorial space marine dude is kind of standing on top of the snake and, and impaling him on the spear, and when you check out, Marco's posted a couple of different pictures of it. You can really see what Simon's talking about. This is some more proof of how fucking brilliant you are.
1: What I really found challenging, that the tyranid is based basically in the profile and therefore it's almost as drawing in a profile, so I find that quite easy. Yes. But the Space Marine was more challenging because first I had to sculpt that head in the yep. in flat, but more challenging was the left shoulder to get okay. working because it's like pulled backwards. The right shoulder is basically the Space Marine shoulder straight, but the yep. left arm from the viewer side, there the shoulder guards get smaller by yep. the perspective. perspective. That was interesting. And I thought I could never sculpt a Space Marine because I never did anything like that before or started that. But uh, I'm pretty happy how it turned out.
0: Now, to give people an idea, this is a Warhound. And you sculpted some shit on a Warhound here. This is the old one. And we were just mentioning yep. that there's going to be a new one. And that, I think Marco mentions in his post that it's going to be a Reaver. So a much larger Titan. And you did yep. similar work on that one?
1: I did. Marco's wish was that we start to classic iconography on that piece. So we had, uh, when you go into a church and or look up Gabriel, for example, or Michael, the, the yep. angels which are killing the snakes. So he yep. wanted to have this uh, imagery on, on this one. And uh, what he wanted for the big one was the uh, ocon It's the story of the priest in Troy mm-hmm. and uh, he sort of messes with uh, one of those Greek gods and someone sends snakes for his sons to be killed by the snake.
0: So this is the preview for what people can expect when they see the new Titan. Yes, that's right. So the idea for the Titan is that Simon has sculpted all this amazing relier inspired by the Laocon. On the Titan's back, there's going to be this Tyranid Prime and it's going to be crucified on like a big Inquisitorial eye sigil. I'm going to try and get the eye 3D printed. There's a very talented dude on Instagram. He goes by Colonial Armory and he does a lot of cosplay, both for a cyberpunk cosplay, but he also does 40k cosplay and 3D printing. Like he's got like Tyranid daggers, Eldar sword. There's pictures of him as a Skatari yes. ranger. He did a rosette of a Inquisitorial eye. The yes. goal is to have something like that in Mount Tyranid Prime as if it's being like hearted around as some kind of psychic bait by this okay. titan as it's hunting tyranids. Oh, it's still alive. Oh yeah, it's still alive. Maybe I'll need to put some vials on there or something to like indicate that they're keeping this thing alive. Before we get into like the interview, we wanted to try something new where we talk about artists who we've seen on Instagram, whose work we really like. Maybe someone we've come yeah. across in recent weeks. There's an artist that you were interested in featuring that you'd come across recently.
1: Yeah, 77terrofels. It's
0: 77th underscore T-E-R-R. R-O-R-F E-L-S on Instagram.
1: A while ago, I started that hashtag Frostbrave28 because I was really inspired by this 28 movement. Just to clarify, when you say
0: 28, you're talking about the Ink 28, the AOS 28, the idea of taking the supposed grim dark of 40K, but taking it even grim darker, that's been transposed over to Age of Sigmar. They call it Age of Sigmar 28, which is making Age of Sigmar a lot grimmer and darker.
1: And um, he was one of the first to pick it up. And when you look at his stuff, he's doing the Frostbrave thing at the moment. I think he stuck okay. to this 28 idea. That's funny because I just understood recently that 28 is about getting everything grimmer and darker but because what he did was he pulled out old, old Warhammer models. The first I liked asked was uh, an archer which came from the... Uh, the b- b- Brits. The friggin' Knights. <laughs> the, uh, Breton... How do you spell
0: those? Bretonian. Bretonian. I don't know. Yeah,
1: the, the Knights. You know those. Um, and yep. probably uh, they had those archers. They were two poses, and you had like 20 or 30 of those archers consisting of two different poses. And uh, these archer miniatures have been raped by generations of kids slapped on with paint and whatever. And what he did, he gave those standard miniatures an awesome paint job and a story for each of them, which turns the average dude who's been killed like a million times. Oh, I didn't even notice. games and he drags them from the grave of the unknown soldier and gives them yeah. a face and a story and a decent paint job and that's really
0: awesome. Work. He says the archer, another poor mercenary dragged out of the warm tavern into the cold lands of Frostgrave to serve under the command of the dark witches of Tottenmoor. Death <sighs> swamp.
1: Those 3 are what I like best because to me it's what yeah, that is about.
0: I really like he's got I don't know if these chests are like Existing models—it's like a chest with a big monster they, tank they coming do, out of it. Yes. Oh, it's Dark Souls, maybe.
1: Yeah, for people not familiar with Frostgrave, most of the time in Frostgrave, you try to drag a treasure chest at home. He turned this idea into the horror thing. So imagine those uh, weird people risking their lives to get a treasure chest, and suddenly it opens up and has this gigantic tongue and teeth, and jumping at them, and like,
0: you, you want to carry me home? Sure. In this one miniature that we're talking about, where like it's the—it's a—it's a chest, and it's like sprouted some legs and sprouted some arms, and it's got this horrific. A big tentacular tongue coming out of it. It looks like the tongue has ice on it. Like, it looks like it's like slobbery yeah. on top and it's got like little icicles underneath. In the land of Frostgrave, it seems very appropriate.
1: Yeah, must be hanging out for quite a while.
0: So you should definitely check out 77th terrafels on Instagram. So that's again 77th underscore T-E-R-R-O-R-F-E-L-S. And as of posting, he has 505 followers and he should definitely have some more. So get on yeah. over there. We're going to talk more about Frostgrave in just a minute. But I wanted to share my own uh, discovery from this week. He's got a couple more followers. He's got like 2200. Wow. He's called The War Singer. So all one word, T H E W A R S I N G E R on Instagram.
1: He's was... of Slanech. I already like
0: This guy it. makes some epic models. I was put onto him by with TT. He commissioned this guy to make this amazing Necron character for him. He's got this kind of ring construction on his back Halo. and these halos, yeah, with these radiating spikes coming out of it. And the radiating spikes are made with hot glue and I was completely blown away by that yeah. art so I went over and I checked out this guy's profile and the first thing I seized on was that he's done this whole series of Katan the, guys,
2: Katah,
0: the, the Necron gods and back in the day when these things first came out there was rumors there was going to be a void dragon and a this one and a that but I think we only ever got two maybe three of them but he's gone yeah. and he's all these different Katan and he's done like different versions of them and there's like these epic awesome. display bases that he's created for Whoa! them and each one has like a different theme to it so his Katan are fantastic like there's this gross bloody one is it's like the Katan 4 flayed one. It seems like he's created different gods for the different parts of the Necron faction. This Ooh. guy is basically king of Necrons, as far as I'm concerned. The coolest <laughs> part for me was how he does how he accomplishes this stuff. Because when you look at his painted models, you might think, oh, you know, that's some really cool green stuff. But he's using hot glue to make these shapes. Wow. Which is a crazy medium. He's made these large sculptures. It blows my mind. The talent of this guy
1: became amazing. Yeah. There's
0: one with these concentric spirals in it that are picking up on like the necron geometry just the combination of glue i think there's guitar wire in there plastic card existing necron bits it's phenomenal
1: the only thing i would be concerned about using hot glue is the lasting because it's hot glue it gets yeah. easy hot
0: i think that to get hot glue hot it needs to be like burning hot like unless yeah, you're going to take probably. your models and put them on an oven i think they might be okay yeah don't go. leave
1: them out on a hot day if you uh, have the chance head over
0: to instagram and check out the war singer war it's all singer. one word Simon, the last time we talked, you talked about how you transitioned from Warhammer to Infinity. And now I see a lot of Frostgrave going on and not a lot of Infinity. So do you want to talk to us about how that transition happened?
1: Yeah, sure. The transition happened because Infinity is in a weird place at the moment. They are in between uh, editions. So this summer is planned to be the next edition, which is called N4. And there are several reasons why I sort of felt left behind. About two years ago, they suddenly stepped up the pace, which is the pace I really like with Corpus Belly because they did everything slow. You were waiting for a certain model for a certain unit. Like people are still waiting for the Moran to (laughs) get a decent model, but you would have anything you needed to play the game. And you didn't have like every month to buy new stuff and to learn new stuff every so often. You could easily tag along. And they suddenly had this year where they introduced five new armies to a very balanced system. I don't think the system was that complex before, but suddenly they had all those new units and new rules and new factions. And I was really hoping for a certain faction, which I enjoyed the laugh about. And the miniatures turned out and everyone was like, wow, this is amazing. It looks so good. And uh, yeah, the rules were, you know, everyone says like Tunguska is missing something. And no one wants to, there are people winning with Tunguska, but no one really loves them. Them. And that was and your that faction, was, Tunguska? Yes, that was a subfaction of my, like, think space marines and the and crew, and in Infinity would be nomads. Tunguska is a certain flavor of nomads. I was put down by that, and suddenly everything got so fast that I couldn't keep up. You needed to play Infinity at least once a week. As family grows, and lots of us probably can understand, can empathize to, is that when you're having a growing family, life and hobby time gets shorter, and you don't have the time to spend spend two nights a week playing a game.
0: And that's something I really wanted to talk about in this episode, your experience mm-hmm. with hobby and how it interacts with family. Is the reason that you shifted from Infinity to Frosty because it was more forgiving in that respect? Yeah,
1: basically because time is suddenly a resource you have to manage, you also have to manage the people you're playing with. As I'm not a student anymore, I cannot walk into a game structure and say, who? I've got the afternoon time. Who wants to play? I have to plan ahead in my games and I have to have someone who's able to have time at the same time as I do, so he needs to be in the same life situation. And therefore, my gaming partners reduced from having like five to seven people I regularly play to one. And this one, my favorite opponent, uh Matthias, saying hi from here. He's a little bit like Bobby Butterfly. He doesn't stick around one clutch for long, and he's interested in this and that and this and that. Hey, oh, look what I'm doing now. And uh, he at one time said, oh, yeah, I heard about this new thing, and it's an awesome. Like, I'm not sure about fantasy. Coming from the cyberpunk Infinity universe, going yeah. to dark and dusty fantasy universe was like, oh, that's a hard part. I but can definitely I some-
0: empathize with that. I Yeah always been interested in 40k I've never really been that interested in fantasy stuff like I like Lord of the Rings but I like reading about it I don't feel like I need to play in that realm I'd yep. rather play with aliens than elves tell us more about so, that transition like moving from a futuristic mindset to a fantasy mindset how did you learn to love the elves
1: uh, I did not I there are no elves in Frostgrave
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay so, how did you learn to love the orcs the, no the orcs. goblins
1: so so the, the the only reason why I came into Frostgrave was my wife because she had this there's this caster, uh, this this small Canadian factory miniature caster called Quest Games doing my Heroes of Childhood Masters of the Universe miniatures. So they are having Skeletor as a miniature, Beastman and Merman and all those old fools. So they're producing them as 28 millimeter miniatures and uh, uh, my wife uh, bought them for me as a gift and I had those kicking around and I never had the time Uh, to to paint them because I didn't have the use for them. And so Matthias said, so we are having, um, we're having this rule set, but it doesn't, they don't care what, you don't need to have a certain miniature for that. You can use whatever you want. And I was like, whatever I want. And he was like, yeah, whatever you fucking want. So it will be okay for me to play Skeletor and Beastman and all those dudes.
0: If you're interested in seeing quest miniatures, uh, you can find them. They have an Etsy shop. For some reason, when I first searched quest miniatures, it came up with some sexy Skeletor stuff, but what you want to do is... What did you call it? Did you call it Quest Miniatures or Quest something else? If you look up Quest Miniatures, you can find them on Etsy, and yeah. they make a bunch of different stuff. It looks like a lot of d d yeah. inspired, but also, yeah, Masters of the Universe, He-Man inspired. Mattia
1: said, you can play with whatever you want, and I was like, okay, sold on that. So I found the reason to to paint up my uh, my uh, Masters of the Universe miniatures and have a use for them, because what I really don't like is painting stuff or converting stuff and having no use for that. I want to push them around on a on a battlefield. And, uh, yeah, so that's how we came to play, uh, um, he built a table, uh, with which was a dungeon. uh, Um, and, uh, yeah, suddenly felt a bit like playing hero quest with, uh, (laughs) with, uh, your heat miniatures. (laughs) Cool. And, and all that in, uh, with a rule set that would, that is so simple that people play it with their five year olds, but still, but still like strategically, uh, exciting enough to be replayable. Not not like, Oh yeah, we played this one game and we're fine because it, it opens up to a whole world of, uh, of ifs and if you want tos and not you have tos and that's probably what i what i was dragged in by not there when i listened to to a podcast where the creator of frost was uh was interviewed and he said that he wrote those rules because i didn't he didn't like other rules and someone yeah. said uh like oh yeah write those rules you like and i will publish them and suddenly his rule set got published that was one thing and the other thing was that they don't need to sell miniatures right. they're just selling the rules and you can play with whatever you want to you can play with your Warhammer miniatures your whatever play more Zaga miniatures HeroQuest miniatures whatever you have because the dude said I have all the miniatures in the world already I just don't have the rule set that's great so he's, so... Just, he's, he's just writing those rules because he's enjoying that and yeah. uh, how it got popular and everyone of course there's some official uh, quotation marks official miniatures uh, by a company producing them but yep. the official rule is do what you like and, but the official company uh, producing
0: the miniatures is not the company that makes the rules it's a separate exactly. company that's good exactly. so they're not trying to push miniatures they can just focus on the rules what you said about how he was inspired to write the rules because he has enough miniatures that's something that I think a lot of us could empathize with um, and that's yep. a really cool point that it's like you don't you don't need new miniatures to play Frostgrave you can just play Frostgrave with whatever miniatures you have Um yes
1: and something and the fun thing is that if you don't have miniatures for example uh, there are people in the uh, international frostgrave uh, community on facebook that are playing frostgrave with uh, legos
0: <laughs> nice that's amazing so it's really and open that, to anyone yes
1: yeah. and that's the beauty of it he says well the uh, joe joe McCulloch says uh, here are the rules do with them whatever you like so it kind of gives back the power to the gamers yep. and uh, he he just he writes his books as Sort of, here's what I thought. This could be cool, but you can do with it whatever you like. And yeah, that makes and quite, it like open.
0: And quite literally, he gives the rules away. Like you posted recently saying that aren't they giving away Frostgrave rules right now? Like you can get them for free, yeah. the core rule set. Yeah. Um, I yeah. think it was. He's
1: he, the author, talked to to the publisher and said, well, we will be having those. Uh, there will be a new edition of Frostgrave uh, yeah. in the summer, uh, yeah. which is just basically cleaning up rules. It's not changing like edition from edition by, by games workshop. It's just linking yeah. up stuff. And um, so he talked to the publisher and uh, said, can we make them, you know, accessible for everyone so yeah. you can go to their homepage and download them for free. Awesome. So
0: it was really the thing that inspired you to move from Infinity to Frostgrave was that the, the one guy who you managed to play Infinity with on a regular basis introduced you to Frostgrave. And yeah. he managed to bribe you by being like, hey, you got some Masters of the Universe He-Man figures. You could use those in Frostgrave. But I've seen that you've moved beyond just using like your He-Man figures in Frostgrave. So how, has it kind of developed for you
1: uh we with um you can play Frostgrave in different ways and uh one of them is um buying books (laughs) um you you can have i can show you uh you can have the rule book in hardcover buy it if you have the money it's not expensive buy it because it still feeds people you know yeah uh and then what he does is uh, writing those rather thin campaign books yeah. And uh, each campaign is sort of, uh, yeah, stories and, and scenarios you can play. And uh, the first scenario or campaign book we played was uh, Thor of the Lich Lord, where some super, uh, super evil... Uh, uh, Super evil necromancer tries to capture the world and you and your warband has the system while fighting other warbands. So yeah. that's, uh, that's the whole story. And, uh, Skeletor and his crew, uh, fight it, uh, through the over a year. We, we managed to have a game about a game per month. So, yeah. uh, he, we played through this whole campaign book and now he, we, we finished it last December, mm-hmm. um, by fighting against. <laughs> Talking about having miniatures
0: for anyone listening at home. Listening,
1: I was Simon's holding
0: up his lich lord, who would yeah. be very familiar to anyone who is into Warhammer Fantasy Battle way back in the day, because, it yeah, is, the, because is that the original Nagash? Yes. So if you scroll back through Hydra's or Simon's Hydra Instagram profile, you can find the his lich lord, which is a Nagash model painted pretty simply. Like uh, he's got some tealish, greenish robes on, have kind of like a brass, um, <laughs> what is that shoulder, neck, mantle Guards. thing? yeah yeah and then some bone but this is is this the original Nagash model from Fantasy yeah. Battle way back in the day yeah wow that, you just had that? that
1: yeah I, I had that from my old undead army and it had been sitting in uh, in the best paint job I could do at that time like yeah. aeons ago and I threw yeah. it in the uh, the paint thinner and removed yeah. all the paint and gave it a, an up-to-date paint job nice And uh, yeah. so that's uh, a that, that perfect
0: was... example of using miniatures you already yeah. have to play Frostgrave
1: yeah that was really cool so yeah that's, that's where we sort of left off so the, the last game we played was uh, playing against the Lich Lord yeah. uh, which suddenly turned a um, a competitive setting into a cooperative setting so you suddenly did not have to fight against each other yeah. but suddenly you had to find, fight together against the game yeah. and what the final scenario of the Lich Lord campaign was uh, was sort of the first try to make this Frostgrave ruleset a solo campaign, a solo playable yeah. ruleset, um, that developed but we liked it so much that we uh, said the next campaign we will be playing. We try to play cooperatively. Uh, nice. And so and this is in times of Corona. What we're doing is uh, I use the hashtag uh, remote frostgrave for that. Yeah. Because uh,
0: wait, some of this is isn't this Remote Frostgrave? Yes. So if you check one of uh, Simon's recent Instagram posts, he's got a kind of a top-down view of a gaming board. How big is that gaming board? Uh, for for the uh, two by two. Previous, or
1: three by three, four by four. Uh, I think it's two and a half by two and a half. Mm-hmm. That what you see is probably three by three because I mm-hmm. built 90 centimeter board, but for a perennial stock, you just need 80 centimeters.
0: Okay, so do you want to... I'm trying to see where we were supposed to go with this. Do you want to talk about Remote Frostgrave? Um, Just
1: briefly, because we, it's, it's, we are all suffering from social distancing and stuff like yeah. that. So uh, what we did, I, we, I set up a, uh, a sort of a tripod where I mounted my, uh, my mobile on top of the board. And yeah. uh, we are playing. Like, I have the board and the miniatures and everything here. And Matthias is at home in front of his computer. Yeah. And we are still playing together this game. That's so because cool. we don't because we don't have to cheat on each other or trick each other because it's playing together against the game itself yeah. and oh and yes, you have I it on bro-
0: on your blog don't you about remote yes yeah. Which one is it? Perilous Dark, The Things in the Water. <laughs> remote Frostgrave. There we go. So yeah, if you check on harchive.com, uh, Simon's written up a whole post about Remote Frostgrave, but he's got some really good illustrations there on his setup for playing remote games. And this is an amazing, whether you play Frostgrave or not, uh, whatever game you play, if you got some friends who are, if you're very intrepid and digitally savvy and have a bunch of cameras and you got some <laughs> friends who are not opposed to playing through a screen, uh, this is a really great setup for playing remotely. And you can totally see how Simon set it all up and like how he ran it. So how did it go?
1: It went so good that we're still doing it. So yeah. I luckily have a place where I, can, where I can leave the board open because, again, time is a resource now. We can't mm-hmm. play four hours straight. So we played for two hours, left everything as it is, and we'll pick up next week uh, where we left off last week.
0: Cool. And, like, how does it – talk about the feeling of it versus playing with someone in the same room as you.
1: It's a bit different because what I needed to get used to was that Matthias is painting and doing models while we play. (laughs)
0: What? He's not just sitting there with bated breath waiting to do the next thing? I'm so disappointed.
1: What I do to get the tabletop feeling, I use one of the mobile cameras from my iPad to do tabletop pictures.
0: Like this kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. You had some really cool ones where it was eye level from the models.
1: Those pictures serve two purposes. One is giving a better view on the situation and having that tabletop feeling when you go down on the board and look from the perspective of a model through the scenery. It works for us perfectly because Matthias has very good memory and and at one point, I tried it to cheat for us. I <laughs> thought I made eight health points and killed someone. And Matthias was like, nope, that in the past round, he lost seven health and he still has one now. And I was like, oh, sorry, kind of misread the, the dice lying there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so, so it's but, been working out for you.
1: Yes, it does. And it is probably the only way I'm getting to play it at the moment because we're two little kids, like the one is like just a couple of months old and the other one is like two and a half. Everyone with kids in that age and with a wife as demanding as mine. <laughs> <laughs> you can't leave home for four hours and say, well, yeah. I'm all, you handle that shit. Yeah, and, that was something uh,
0: that I was reflecting on. I haven't been playing remotely, but working in this COVID reality, I save the time that I would usually take to get to work and the time that I would usually take to get home from work so I have another like hour and a half two hours of my days I hadn't thought about that with playing remotely that you can save the time of putting all your models in the car driving them over to your friend's house chit chatting setting them up playing the game packing them all up putting them back in the car driving home just say tomorrow COVID was gone do you think that you would automatically go back to playing in person or do you think that there are times when you would continue to play remotely just because of the time savings
1: for my current reality uh, I think I will keep doing that for a while because uh, I'm not seeing the family uh, the, the family situation leaving like four hours at night and saying goodbye mm-hmm. because on, uh, we used to play uh, during the week uh, yeah. because I had to work late and he had some days off during the week yeah. so we could manage that so my wife could handle the one kid and I could be all but if one kid starts to cry and the other one starts to cry and there's just one person to care for it the yeah. shit's going to hit the fan right it sounds really bad and sounds like the anti-advertisement for kids but it, it appears that <laughs> And I'm, st- and I'm stuck here for, for a bit. And um, so if this is a way where I can play and enjoy playing, uh, I will do that.
0: Cool. All right. So last time we spoke, you didn't have kids and you told us about how you were going to make, and I quote, you're going to make sure they played with toys and miniatures by breaking their fingers so that they can't use a screen or play computer games. So that was like three years ago and you and your wife have been busy. You've now got two yeah. kids. One who's about two, right? And the yeah. other one who's two just fresh. House, yeah. Still got the spawning goo behind his ears. Um, so <laughs> (laughs) I was wondering if you could talk about how you've managed to make your hobby work around your family and family commitments. Ah,
1: That's (laughs) that's a tough one. I think that's another reason why Frostgrave uh, sort of um, filled an itch with Frostgrave. You really don't need to have a new army to be enjoying the game. You don't need to have an army. You can either use the miniatures you already have. As I enjoy making miniatures, I don't need to have a ton of them. So I can make 10 models. What I did with my uh, He-Man models uh, or Master's of the universe models, and uh, I used them over and over again. So when one died, he got sort of respawned. I made up a story. I painted them once. I could take the time I wanted to paint them. So I just had to paint literally like twelve models to to be playing. Um, that was uh, that worked a year pretty well because we we played like once a month, yeah. which is doable. And uh, with most uh, gaming systems, um, playing once a month, you have to relearn the game over and over and over again. Like yeah. for example, Infinity would be hard to play just once a month if you died. Yeah. You can restart again learning that game. And Frostgrave is uh is rules wise it's so simple. Uh, every you and your opponent just pick up a dice roll and whoever rolls that dies higher and adds up some modification to it wins. And that's it. Well it gets a little bit more uh, defined but it doesn't get more complex than that. Yeah
0: and now you say that Frostgrave is great because you could paint twelve models and use them forever, but Simon You've painted a lot of models for (laughs) Frostgrave. converted, you've sculpted, you've painted.
1: That's right, because so, that's what...
0: So is it the case that you can do these, like, when you're inspired? Like, the ones that you want? You don't have to do yeah. certain rules or whatever? I
1: wanted to, to play with you, your lovely wife and my wife, during our vacation in France. I wanted to have everyone as miniatures to play with that. So try to think about any game system like Infinity or Warhammer or Warhammer 40k. How much miniatures would you need to have the gaming experience somehow relate to that real gaming experience when you play the game really, really well. Yeah. Um, you would be painting out shitloads of miniatures. And like I'm setting maybe the standards for my own amusement very high. So I made four warbands, one warband for each of us, or five miniatures. Um, and that's it. So that was a total of 20 miniatures. Six. That was one of them, yeah. <laughs> for each of us. yeah. Six minutes for each of us, yes. Um, and we were done. We could play with them, And we had yeah. fun. I guess. And uh, I was inspired by different things and I did not need to make a whole army do, to be playing with them. It was just yeah. a couple of miniatures and I was done with that. And yeah. then I could, you know, do whatever I fancy next.
0: Yeah. And nice. that's,
1: that for, for my life standard, that's a very efficient uh, way of doing a
0: hobby. Nice. Have you like, blended your family with your hobby? Like, are you thinking about <laughs> introducing your kids to miniatures at some point or uh, doing like miniature stuff with your wife? I
1: played with my, uh, with my wife was grade like two, two times after we played uh, together during our vacation did it for me but she enjoyed it as well (laughs) that sounds weird (laughs)
0: yeah
1: but when I'm talking about frostgrave, she now can relate to what I'm talking about the other thing is that for my current campaign I built some terrain and um, as I don't have much time in a row like I used to have two three hours in in a row to to, to build terrain or whatever now I have in the evening I have an hour one and a half maybe maybe 10 15 minutes during the day, so I yeah. need to use those minutes I have to the most benefit. And um, I'm a lot in the garden with a kid at the moment, so he's yeah. running around having fun exploring the world. And while he's doing that in the garden, I'm building stuff. So,
0: oh, you're building it outside me. while he's playing in the garden, or you mean you're collecting
1: yes, stuff? Yes, yeah, build. yeah. And I built wow. for, for the for the last scenario of Frostgrave, I built a temple. You've got pictures of exactly on your Instagram. Yeah, I'll post some better pictures, but that's what as a thing we built together. I kept it really really simple because I wanted to achieve a simple looking look and a certain large look on those stone slabs, but also because it was easier to cut them uh, with yep. my son kicking around and um, yep. the, the sanding and gluing, uh, gluing the sand onto the terrain piece we did in a sandbox. So he was nice. playing with his, stuff. I just slapped his sand on my terrain and we were good. It was, it was something done in 10 minutes. Um, just some sand on it. And I was done. Efficiency is probably the key to a happy hobbyist having a family
0: <laughs> i like it that in remote frost grave.
1: yeah and accepting the fact that when you're working with the two-year-old on terrain you're always two steps forward and one step back because he quotation marks helped me glue all those stone slabs um, yeah to place. and uh, so he he just stuck stone slabs onto each other and i rearranged them to look as i wanted them to look and yes. he went back and arranged some more it was a little struggle but i accepted it he needed to have fun as well so we both did this thing
0: (laughs) that's cool okay and going forward when your kids get older how do you think about them in the hobby would you want them to get into miniature hobby
1: i think they have no chance although he's two and a half he knows some models and i accept him to have models when he was young one and a bit uh, almost two years old uh, he wanted to touch them and i told him that he needed to be very careful with them and being almost two he he managed that so he understood that that was important to me and he handled them with care and he had something worthy in his hands. So that's yeah. what I... If he drops them, if, if they break, well, that's that's a shame and too bad, but I can glue them back together. But what I want him to understand is that it is something that is important to me and he accepts the fact that it is and that he takes yeah. care of that and uh, he does the sentence, I'm careful with that. For ah. He wants something and I don't yeah. want him to have it. He says, yeah. but I will be careful with that. Oh, cute. <laughs> okay. That's cute. But when it's the kitchen knife... <laughs>
0: <laughs> not, not so cute. Listen, you are talking about being careful. And the last time you were on, you talked about a situation where you broke a toy when you were a kid. You broke a pterodactyl. Yeah. You took it to your dad. You told him to fix it. And he melted it back together. and he did a horrible job. I hear you gave something to your son, and he wasn't exactly careful with it. <laughs> the situation?
1: For some weird reasons, I recently started collecting uh, Star Wars miniatures for the first time in my life. Like, I yeah. had done Star Wars miniatures before. Suddenly, I needed to have some of them. And, yeah. of course, um, he wanted to have some of them as well. So I gave him the stormtrooper and his beloved stormtroopy, as he called him, uh, he, this, the stormtrooper was carried around everywhere, even to the photographer, uh, who took the family portrait pictures, yeah. uh, everywhere the stormtroopy appears. And, uh, this one recently dropped outside by an accident. It was not, it just fell yeah. and the 20 plus years old plastic snapped at the ankle. And now I'm in the, uh, I tried to give him another stormtrooper because I thought they were replaceable. <laughs> and, uh, as-
0: one would yes no yes, not. Okay. yes it
1: has to be this one and now yeah. this one is lying in my cupboard with his foot off and I explained that this stormtrooper is in the hospital it's in my working area where he is not allowed to go into alone yeah. and whenever he wants to come in here because all my toys are here he says yeah. uh, oh can we can we visit the stormtrooper in the in the hospital because yeah. I want to see if his foot is okay already yeah and I'm always like no I didn't pin it all yet yeah <laughs> I will try to be better than my dad, not simply glue it together.
0: You're not going to melt the leg back on like your dad did? You're going to no. glue it and do it proper? Yeah,
1: I'll, I will try my best to have the function still available. But, you know, coming back to topic, family and hobby is something, hobby is time consuming. Yeah. And um, I, with family, most, of, the most interesting observation I did recently is that I feel that most things I've learned during my studies um, is that uh, I have got, gotten effective in certain ways. I don't have to try out and experiment things because I don't have the time. At the When I do something, I have kind of vision in my head. I go forward. I know what I need to glue to what thing and then it works. And I uh, and I don't have to go back and fix my errors because I don't have the time at the moment. So okay. my paint jobs are most effective I've ever done because I don't have the time and I still want to have a certain standard.
0: Yeah, I'm just gonna, while you're talking about paint jobs, I'll just go over to your Instagram and oh wait, where's the recent paint jobs? So yeah, you got like your skeletons that you like yeah, so, so they were
1: they were done in one and a half hours. Yeah, but um, still got some more conversion to it. Or if you go up to the to, to the last thing, those two statues. Yeah, Uh they were painted in in without drying time, not thirty minutes.
0: Wow. Okay, and you got all the steps here from the uh sculpts to the prime yeah. to the wash, and then I guess you like dry brushed on like bronze or something. Yeah, nice. So that's that's hobbying with a family. <laughs> okay,
1: I, me and Matthias we are both joking sometimes that we are really really missing those times Uh, being a student having nothing to do quotation marks just how much as you want Uh, there's there apparently is some some YouTube channel where two guys being in that situation used this lockdown situation and said well we will be locking down ourselves in our garage and gaming for four days straight and we were like oh remember those times
0: (laughs) when you could game for four days straight we've talked about how you did the Warhammer thing we talked about how you did Infinity and then you came from infinity to Frostgrave. um when i posted the last episode recently of our interview with you i posted it on twitter and someone came at us with the question um what would games workshop have to do to get you back so have you given some thought to that what how could games workshop possibly get you back as a hobbyist like i know you use some games workshop models we use a lot of games workshop models for your frost stuff conversions yeah. and sculpting and all that um but in terms of yeah going back to games workshop maybe like 40k or tyranids or something what would they have to do
1: i've given the question a lot of thought and if you read it completely the, um, the the guy asking this question said I would love him to see an a whole army yeah. and I think I put out that I don't have the time to like probably enjoy making a gene stealer cult but I'm not doing like a gene stealer cult to, to put it in a display board I want to play with them because right. they're toys and uh, for that I would need I don't know how many hundred models and that's something not happening anytime soon so this is one part that I don't have the time to build an army I think perfect personal history with games workshop um, is uh, uh, spoiled me a bit because yeah. uh, when i when games workshop at some point rearranged uh, itself it's it's uh company structure yeah. which saw a lot of my friends getting fired and um, I suddenly lost not just friends but the meta and everything my relationship with Games Workshop feels a bit like your big first love trying to get you back
0: <laughs> oh interesting
1: <laughs> she, she left you and kicked her ass for for someone else um that someone else was uh, money for for the m- people who already have enough money um and uh she kicked my ass pretty hard, and now she she comes back and says, "Oh yeah, I thought about us having such wonderful times. Look yeah. what I found: in the cupboard, pictures of us enjoying ourselves and whatnot, and uh, all the things I wished for to happen when I was still with Games Workshop are yeah. sort of happening now. Um, so, working with the community." Um, getting all those specialist gaming systems back, trying different strains in design, going different routes, all the things, having merchandise. We've screened for that for ages. And yeah. we didn't just have deaf ears turned on. We were like turned down. When I talked to, to managers, they were like, no, no. It's not Games Workshop. We're not that, <laughs> and suddenly they're doing that. I should rejoice, and I'm happy for everyone who's sort of enjoying the Games Workshop hobby currently. And um, I'm happy for them to have all that that I wished for. To me, it feels like being bright back in.
0: <laughs> yeah. So,
1: oh yeah, you made a Gene Stealer Cult when there was when Gene Stealer Cults were just my tiny piece in the fluff. But um, now look at us. Now we have Gene Stealer Cult army, and a whole range of molds you could use and I, I feel like yes I could Yeah. but it doesn't catch me anymore. You
0: found a newer better lady in your life and no matter how yeah. hot your old flame was, no matter how many sexy cars she drives or beautiful dresses she owns, it's not going to win you back.
1: Yeah probably.
0: But you're going to keep stealing their models.
1: I'm not, I'm I'm using I used to, no, let me put it this way I love Games Workshop models, most of them. Yeah. there's are design decisions I cannot follow but it's all about design and I really enjoy the, 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 stroll they recently took. Games Workshop used to be big hands, big jazz hands on everything. Um, and now, um, they, they kind of scale things down with Warcry. Um, they suddenly yeah. have realistic, co-proportioned hands. Uh which are a joy. But when I was with Games Workshop, there always have been all those other companies which also made cool miniatures. uh, And they were sort of forbidden to me because you were not allowed to use their parts. Uh your golden demon entries were turned down when there was when there were found uh foreign company parts. Uh you could not participate in um in tournaments when there were foreign foreign company parts used in your army, whatever. But I try to stroll around other company miniatures and uh, what I enjoy at the moment, is trying to find a way to mix all those different miniature brands I have into something that looks like it belongs together.
0: Yeah. Okay. Therefore,
1: I don't. I don't feel like stealing anything. I'm just. I'm just not limiting myself to just this tiny piece of the cake. I yes, want it all. Of course. Well,
0: what I what I meant to ask was, um, do you still buy Games Workshop miniatures for use in Frostgrave?
1: I do, but I don't buy them anymore uh, at Games Workshop. <laughs> yeah. I use. Uh, I buy a lot of things um, on. Uh, Second hand markets, because they are, in all honesty, for example, this, this crypt horror I use for my Cthulhu conversion. Yep. For the three of them, I paid eight euros. Eight euros? Yes, in a original box.
0: Oh, wow. Okay.
1: They were still on deal. frame. Yeah.
0: That's a good deal.
1: And, and I, I, if, if they would have, again, family, money. Money is another resource which yeah. gets fewer and fewer the more kids yeah. you get. Um, yeah. I would not have bought that miniature for the original price. Yeah. But someone else selling off his, his miniatures, he won't buy Games Workshop miniatures again. So I'm fine with that. I know that's sad news for for every Games Workshop employee. But, you know.
0: Well, I'd, I'd like to think that the Games Workshop employees that there are Games Workshop employees who are realistic. Um, this guy, Darren Latham, he's a guy who designed, helped design the um, Genestealer cultists, the new ones. Mm -hmm. He works with Jess a lot. Uh, He worked with Jess on the Adeptus Mechanicus stuff. He had his own YouTube channel and Games Workshop has actually told him to that he can't do it anymore. So he's officially stopping his YouTube channel in May. But in his YouTube channel, he says like, oh yeah, when I'm painting good bottles, I use Winsor Newton brushes. And when I'm just like putting base coat on, I use this game's workshop brush. He's like, yeah, no, I don't, I use Vallejo paints. I use whatever. Like he's he's realistic that there are other brands out there and there are other yep. miniatures out there and that kind of stuff. Was there anything else you wanted to say about that?
1: I think I don't want to be salty. It's uh, it's part of my past, part of my identity. And uh, I still remember that time fondly. Yep. And all the friends i've uh got through this time we for example would have never met without exactly games workshop stuff and that would be a big black hole in my life so uh i'm grateful for the time we had i think that's the best way to look at an ex
0: right (laughs) (laughs) we broke up but i got to keep my friends from the relationship so it's okay (laughs) sounds good that's what i do (laughs) so as you've moved on with your life from your Mm -hmm. uh like Games Workshop days, um, let's talk about the future. Kind of like we've talked about how you've gotten to your present with Frostgrave and all that kind of stuff. And kind of what are you excited about right now in Frostgrave that you see like a, a longer runway for? What do you want to explore in that? Or like in um, sculpting, painting, miniature hobby in general, like 3D mm-hmm. printing, anything. What What are you looking forward to?
1: Okay, new, neat, uh, I think. Uh, I don't want to sound like uh, the grim old man family having no time whatever but there's nothing I can dip into right now uh because uh, everything new would be something I would have to put time into. Time is of essence, as I said. Yeah. Maybe like a 100,000 times before. Yeah. Um, though I am not sure about uh, 3D printing because uh, I think it's still technically um, in the development. Um, I've heard pretty good things from those uh, resin printers um, compared to those uh, filament uh, printers where you have those lines and you always see those lines and sure. uh, hate those lines. And, um, and so, yeah, until there's a affordable working prison printer that prints sharp details as we would have sculpted them or someone would have cast them in metal or plastic, okay. uh, I'm not in there. Uh, so okay. that will be a Probably in a couple of years uh, when, when the whole technology thing is settled and working, but yeah. I'm not in the pain mood. <laughs> okay. I understand so, uh, that.
0: Um, I think it's getting pretty good now from what I hear, but it is definitely a steep learning curve. Um, another one of the artists that I really love following on Instagram is the Smith and he just did an interview with Between the Bolter yeah. and Me. And he was talking about all the different kind of like 3D modeling softwares and all the different kind of printers because he, he does that shit. Like he's a games designer so he knows it back to front. But it was interesting to hear him say that he's got all that shit down, but he doesn't want to 3D model his models. Like, he'd rather get pieces and physically feel putting them together and figuring it out rather than just being like, oh, I'm going to create this from scratch. Um, yeah. I,
1: and I think there's, there's such a difference between, uh, especially in sculpt, I, I think that Everything you do with your hands will feel differently than you would otherwise. For example, uh, everyone probably knows um, hassle-free miniatures, yep. and if you don't, go and check them out. They are in dire need because they are a British and B Corona. Um, yeah. But uh, the the sculptor Kevin Watt, um, who used to work for Games Workshop, yep. um, is an amazing amazing sculptor. And um you he started work on uh on three D sculpting recently and he did he sort of redid models he already did for yeah. um and sculpted them in three D because he his worked better with his time whatever. Yeah. Um and uh, I think I can tell a like light year difference between uh the handmade sculpture and the uh three D sculpture. Of course, you can do crazy things in 3D and it's faster and more efficient or whatever, but I think there's R2 sculpting by hand and not yeah. on the screen.
0: Sorry, you said that you could tell the difference between his 3D sculpts and his hand sculpts. Which ones are better? Yes.
1: Um, for me, the, his hand sculpts are better. I'm not so keen on, on those um, like perfect, uh, perfect things on, on the computer. I think yep. little flaws that hand-sculpting eventually create gives uh, character to miniatures. And you know, we're looking at, for example, Cobra Belly, yep. they're doing that really well. Uh, but you tell that they have, for a certain troop pipe, they have a 3D sculpted body. And they just let different hats on and different weapons, of course, reworked their things, but looking at the knee pads, they all look the same. And that's ah, okay. nice for if you wanna have like the army feeling, like everyone looks the same. Yeah. But it's not I'm, I'm aiming for. I'm aiming okay. for a more character thing.
0: Cool. Yeah. I've I've had, um, I don't, you've done some casting, but something, the the way that I think about 3d sculpting is kind of the way that I think about casting. Um, like I do models for myself and I do models for other people with commissions and stuff like that. And it's always, it's always the case that like if I make a commission and people are like, Oh my God, you should cast this. You should cast this. You should cast this. I'm like, (laughs) I don't really want to. Cause when I hear that, when I hear like you should cast this or you should 3d print this, Yep. All I'm hearing is like, I want you to make this cheaper so that I can buy it. Like yep. from you without having yep. to pay you a commission. And yep. sure, but that would make take a whole bunch of work to learn the 3D sculpting yep. process to get a print buy the printer, buy the materials, get that all out. And I'm gonna sell one to this guy. Like maybe a couple other guys are gonna buy it, but like um yeah, I like the idea of having my stuff be unique. And then I'm sure that as soon as I, yes. if I were to get into casting or 3D printing, as soon as I did that, um, it would probably be a lot easier to recast the stuff that I'm making. Whereas sure. the stuff that sure. I make now, like that's not an option. I don't know. I think that's, maybe that's like my crazy tinfoil hat stuff, but uh, that's kind of what I no, thought. No, 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 you're,
1: you're totally right. I, I always felt like, what was the difference between art Um or- there are certain art types that reproductive things, ready-made and stuff like that. Yeah. But, um, I had this commission, um, where I was asked by a friend to paint something for their wall. And, yeah. uh, while I didn't charge you anything, just, just materials, uh, if, if you would have bought an art piece in that size in an art gallery, it would have been probably in a couple of thousands, uh, yeah. to pay for that. And, um, yeah we talked about pricing and what, what it's worth. And he said, well, why do people buy that? I just, why don't I get a, a high quality print on a, on a nice silk screen or something like that and put that up on my wall? And I said, well, because it's not painted because yeah. the, the paint has um, a texture to itself. It, it rises and it has highs and it's lows and whatever. And he said, yeah. well, yeah, that sounds interesting and um (laughs) so i said well you you trust me i i will paint this for you and um you you can say afterwards because you're just paying for the materials it's not that you're losing loads of um and uh it took me over a half a year to finish this painting so we forgot about this whole uh discussion and Mm -hmm. uh, when we finally hung up the thing on this wall he was um like, weeks afterwards, he was, of course, grateful for, for having that on his wall, and it's not empty anymore, whatever, and living room. Nice. And yeah. weeks afterwards, he came to me and said, you know what, now I'm understanding the difference between repainting and something printed on the screen. Depending on whether it's uh, in the morning or in the evening, the, the picture changes its looks, because the color cool. is, has its texture itself. So, yeah. Yeah. It's a bit okay. like that with her 3D printing.
0: <laughs> yeah. It feels yeah it's like seating. <laughs> it's a bit like photocopying miniatures. So not 3D printing, but like, what are you looking forward to in the hobby? Like, like is it Frost, I mean, Frostgrave stuff? Like, what about uh, FG28? Like, are, you just kind of started yeah, well, this Frostgrave 28 tag and like the idea of taking Frostgrave and taking it in a more like grim, darky direction. And do you want to just say a bit about like how that community is growing and how what you're looking forward to in the future for that?
1: Yeah. Well, I I totally admired the Twenty Eight Movement. What I like about them is uh, that they have a very artistic approach on things. I remember uh, like a couple of years ago when I was in the Golden Demon Jury, I had the feeling at some point. Uh, things could not get better because the, the paintings, uh, the paint jobs on the miniatures were so realistic and yeah. so naturalistic that it was hard to, to you know, believe that someone did something like that with the brush and paint. Yeah. And uh, comparing that um, to, to the uh, art world in the uh, past centuries, uh, yeah. you could also see that was this point where, where, paintings reached you know the the quality of like photographs. Like it was yep. so realistic. And then uh, Interesting. The, the photography was invented and then suddenly different art types suddenly started to explode as sort of a counter movement.
0: I'd never thought about ink twenty eight and like Blanche as being like a reaction against like either um heavy metal like people call it heavy metal style painting or um or as you described it like hyper realistic painting but yeah it's a really cool like i don't know that's, that's an interesting thing to really consider that maybe it got to the point where golden demon painting was so good that like what are you going to do you're going to get better than than perfect like so this is like a reaction yep. against that it's yeah. also um more accessible in the sense that you don't have to strive to get the super perfection. You can; it's more stylistic, so that you can bring your own style, and that's okay. Like that can be your style. I guess Blanchett's is kind of defined by being like gritty or like muted colors. So like the the crazy yep. vivid colors probably don't work so well in there. Um, yeah. But the other thing you you talk about it in terms of painting. The other I haven't done much in ink twenty eight, but my understanding of it is that when they host these Inc. 28 events and they prepare their war bands for these events, the rules are stripped down. They're not like codex rules. And it's not the idea that you're going to bring in a unit. You're going to smash someone's face with five plasma guns. It's the idea that these guys are so crappy, but their guys are also so crappy and you're just (laughs) flinging rocks at each other just for the narrative, like just for the fun. So I think that could also be like, as you identified the 28 movement as a artistic reaction against like yeah. the commonly yeah, yeah. accepted heavy metal style, golden demon style. So too could the um, 28 movements, narrative campaigns and like the way they embrace um, like looser rules and like more fun yes. rules rather than like yes. hardcore face kicking rules. That could also be a reaction against the standard rule set. Um, yeah. Cool. So, I would I
1: would, I would call that a libation movement they're operating themselves from the restriction put up yeah. by certain, you know, they say, well, who, who said that I can only slide paint on my models. I can slide all stuff on my models. Like yeah. The guy you uh, talked about earlier, he's using hot glue and doing an yeah. amazing job. So we like, it's it's not well moving but we sort of limited ourselves down and that's one of the reasons why I like Foscra so much because it is like the, the ultimate liberation. It's basically a core rule set you can use however you want and uh, the even the stuff is so loosely written that um, like everyone can can easily squeeze the stuff in there without oh. kind of having uh, the boundaries of uh, of a background that limits you.
0: Yeah, and uh, one and, of the uh, reasons that I wanted to mention Frost, or I was glad to have you on to talk about Frostgrave, is that yeah. with the 28 movement moving towards these kind of like stripped-down rules, I was wondering if yeah. like an age of Sigmar 28 might embrace the Frostgrave rule set in some respect for an event. Like it might be a useful thing for them to feed off of. Um, yeah, Probably. So. Yeah.
1: I know that, that for example, uh, one of the uh, Twenty Eight Magazine artists,
0: Polanska is, Anna.
1: Yes, she fixed up some um, lockdown campaign for her and someone else, and I suggested uh, to to use um, ranges of Shadows Deep rules for that. Um, it's, oh, uh, based on on the rule set for Frostgrave, but it's more like the um, RPG. Um, yeah. then a tabletop thing, and uh, she said that um she had looked into those rules and she will fix up something for them in the future so I Thanks. think the the difference uh, one element um i'm not too too firm with um the uh, recent rule sets for games workshop games yeah, but one of the things I really enjoyed with is the um the the monstrous that appear during the game, so you yes. you think you're safe with hitting, having two uh, treasure chests in your possession heading home, and suddenly uh, there's this big monster appearing, appearing from the side of the board like stomping you.
0: <laughs> yeah, I remember having um, that experience when we were playing together. I had some kind of weird fanged worm thing attack me when I was trying to get away with my yeah. treasure.
1: And that's, that's an element, I think, that's very invasive and... Um, Suits, you know, the game style I like and I enjoy very much. And yeah. so, you asked, I'm looking for two. Um, I had inspired by the 8 guys, yeah. Um, that um, think about organizing or hosting or planning a for rave 28 event in the future, yeah. Um, because there are a couple of guys, uh, following the for rave 20. Uh, hashtag, which are sort of food. I think in the last uh, 28 or on the first uh, first uh, volume of the 28 magazine, yeah. uh, there was this how to host a 28 event, and yeah. um, point one was, if I remember correctly, was uh, get the right people.
0: <laughs> get five so you people. Don't
1: want to have someone. No, get the right people. You don't ah. want to have someone hyper-competitive crashing your uh, your native
0: event. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, that's, so that's that's kind that's, of what I've heard from other Inc twenty-eight in people. Picture. That it's like you have to if you want to participate in an Inc twenty-eight event, you have to understand that it's an Inc twenty-eight event and that it's not hyper-competitive. Um. Yeah. So if people want to follow that tag, is it just FG twenty-eight? So you said there's about how many people posting to it now that you're aware of?
1: Uh, I think five,
0: five or six. And is this primarily and in
1: Germany or? It's funny that there are, I'm in Germany and there are two others uh, in Germany as well. Two of them, those are friends. They're in, uh, in Hamburg. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to team up with them.
0: And in terms of like thinking about hosting an FG28 event, like what are you at a place where you could host it like the next year? Or do you want to wait a bit till your kids are a little older, or what's your time scale for it? It's somewhat next year. Would next you host year. it in Dortmund or in Hamburg, or do you have an idea where you might do it? Yeah, I would
1: try to host it here because we have a um, an old uh, firefighter station around yep. here uh, that's that's like really, really, really old. And, um, I would love to go down there and, uh, because it's very moody and it has this really old bricks around and
0: yeah, Yeah. I think that's all that we wanted to cover. So is there anything else that you wanted to touch on?
1: I I don't want to tire anyone.
0: (laughs) Well, Simon, thank you so much for coming on Xenos Alchemist again. Um, And for talking to us about your current hobby situation, Um, I was really glad to have your perspective on Frostgrave because it's something that a lot of people are probably not familiar with. But if they're feeling that urge that you did to have simpler rules, more about fun, more about using whatever miniatures you want, and in a fantasy setting, this could be perfect for them. Yep. Yeah, so thanks for that perspective. And, and
1: there have, they have, they they are hints that there is supposed to be a futuristic role as well.
0: That Whoa, oh, that's good news. So Ooh. tune in soon for that. That's cool. Well, then yeah. that's how you're going to get me to play Frostgrave. Bring out the futuristic one, and I'm, in, I'm there. <laughs> nice. Awesome. So uh, just to review, if you're not following Simon right now, you can follow him on Instagram. His handle is... Number four, so the numeral four, Y D R A. So that's Hydra with a four instead of an H. Or you can follow him on his website, h archive.com. H A R C H I V E.com. Um, and I guess people can reach out to you in the messages on Instagram if they have any more questions for you. Sure. Is that okay? Okay. Cool. All right. Well, thanks so much, man. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah. And we'll talk soon. We will. The year was
1: 1778. How I wish I was in Sherbrooke now. A letter of mark came from the king To the scummiest vessel I've ever seen God damn them all I was told we'd cruise the seas for American gold We'd fire no guns Shed no tears, but I'm a broken man on a Halifax pier, the last of Barrett's privateers.
2: The tavern shelf 23 looked like it had been drawn by a child that had originally intended to draw a tree. The owner of this tavern, Herbert Knausig, originally a butcher, had come to the city to rent his mountains of arms and his trustworthy axe to the highest bidder. He quickly made a new business plan and took over the building. Somehow, only the roof had been damaged during the permafrost that had engulfed Felstad. Of course, the permafrost, and probably more likely the thawing afterwards, had destroyed almost any wood in the building. But the pragmatic Knauzig had found a decent supply of wood in the ruins of a grand old library nearby. Enough wood to fix the roof, build a counter, and all the interior fittings. The seemingly endless shelves of the library were now tables, stools, and everything else you could wish for in a bar. The whole atmosphere was as comfortable and inviting as a butcher and his axe could manage. Over time, guests had brought... Decorations with them, so that the walls were packed with all kinds of things. Above the counter was a massive framed werewolf head, which Herbert had slain himself while it was rummaging through the trash behind the tavern. At least that's what Herbert claimed to have happened. Some regular guests, which had spent quite some time mindlessly staring at the walls, muttered in secrecy that the head looked more like a rather large shepherd dog than a werewolf, but none dare openly question Herbert. The drinks that were served in Shelf 23 were the only reason why the tavern was so popular. Herbert, being a butcher, knew as much about producing drinkable beverages as a pig might know about casting a fireball. Nonetheless, the liquid that left the self-timbered barrels was not only consumable, but actually quite delicious. So regular visiting wizards had a theory that the barrel wood, which had been home to magic scrolls and folios full many centuries soaked in the magic, and was now releasing micro portions of that eon old magic, so that the water from the nearby river, the kitchen slob, and whatever else Herbert could find actually turned into beer. Although the drinks served were surprisingly good, the atmosphere in Shelf 23 was far from jolly. The cause for that might have been the candles and the chandeliers, which seemed to produce more shadows than actual illumination, or the always grim face of the bartender, or that most guests were mercenaries, thieves, cutthroats, and a few occasional wizards. In this sinister place, somewhere at the borders of the thawing city named Felstad, our story starts with a hooded figure leaning over to another barely-lit shape, muttering a few hushed words. (laughs) ¶¶